Okay, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Good. That's what I like to hear. Three, two, one, go. This is Thursday. This yes, it is. is Thursday. And Thursday. Thursday. We are going. Three, one, four. Hello. There we go. How about a little more hey. enthusiasm with that hello? Jeez, it's like we're a spam <laughs> caller. Uh, well, I know number. I don't know you, Chris. Chris, it's great to have you back. Uh, Chris, Chris is a very private person. Matt and Landon, he doesn't even mm-hmm. want you to know anything about him, um, except for all the things you shared last episode. Even so, yeah, <laughs> he barely wants you to know he has parents. From my, what I recall. <laughs> My parents may name. Maybe I didn't. I don't if know. You guys, just to refresh <laughs> the uh, the fan uh, appendix, Chris appeared in the Speeches by Prisoner series, the um, Becoming Jesus episode, and that supplemental episode. But he's back. We're not talking any prisoners tonight, but rather, if you remember, Chris is an expert in the computer programming world. Very knowledgeable on. Many things digital and technological. So, with us discussing the film Blade Runner's uh, famous Tears in the Rain speech and AI and how I am somewhat regularly asking Chris at the climbing gym, tell me more about how much we should worry about AI. And he's sort of like (laughs) calming my fears. We can get a flavor of that for this intro call. So, that's why he's here. Thank you. Good to see you again, Chris. Here, good to hear you again. Yeah, Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna brag about you. You've already done probably more leg work than most of our intro callers. He watched the entirety of Blade Runner. Oh yeah, and um, of course, I'm sure did lots of just general thinking on the topic leading up. Would you have hesitated to kill Roy like Harrison Ford? Although there's some plot issues there with that point, but let's just pretend that he was deliberating that. Would would you have hesitated to kill Roy the robot? I mean, if it came down to it and it's him and I, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, okay. Noted. Noted. I wouldn't want my eyes gouged either, so. Yeah, he did no. just gouge someone else's <laughs> eyes out recently. It's like, suddenly he gives a poetic speech and Harrison Ford's like, oh yeah, whatever. But technically, Roy was about to decay or die. Yeah, he was going to die anyway. Harrison Ford also might have been a replicant. Chris, how how does the film, in your uh, expert opinion of AI in the future, how, how does it match up with what you think of as a realistic future of AI? Uh, <laughs> I'm not an AI expert. <laughs> yeah, but you're more than these doofuses. Um. <laughs> I would say uh, the film is clearly very much dystopian. If humans being humans are left to their devices and we're going to do stuff like that. We're going to make replicants or AI that are, is meant for war. And that's what Roy was. Is it over the horizon? Potentially. Is it near, near to us? Like uh, uh, within the next 20 years? Probably not. Certainly a possibility in the future, I think. Chris, do you use AI much in your day-to-day either work or life or anything like that? Personally, I don't, but professionally, there is a test program that's happening. They want us to experiment with it 
in our day to day. So that's that's my exposure to it. In terms right. of like coding, seems like it's able to kick out some pretty good like yeah introductory code or like the framework of code that you would then edit off of. Have you tried any of that or? Uh, yeah, I've, I've touched it a little bit. Would I give it uh, requirements and say make this this system and right. have confidence in it? Absolutely not. But if I had an existing code base or or something that it could you know gather context from, if it provided smarter suggestions, which I'm seeing in my testing so far, it works sometimes. If you're writing code to test other code, it's pretty good at generating boilerplate which can save a lot of time, but in terms of hmm. this is an original idea or this is a really solid piece of code to X, X Y, and Z, uh, it's my experience is not anywhere near that. This is your moment to shine as the showman introducing the episode. So remember, put your own little flourish on this. I think I got it. And if you mess up, we're going to have ChatGPT introduce us. <laughs> 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 okay take on over it's you you guys are in for a uh good episode talking about tears in the rain which is a speech given by a uh, replicant at the end of a, of the movie blade runner the original and tonight i'm introducing mike matt and landon hey let's cue the music and uh go on from there thanks chris you did great all right thanks a lot guys Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all are all here. It's free, free. I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want to podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. We are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Here we go. Great introduction by Chris. And he's right. We're doing the Tears in the Rain speech by the replicant named Roy Batty. Boy, would that be a great trivia question and a trivia contest. What that replicant's name is. I'm pretty sure not even Harrison Ford would know the answer to that. (laughs) Pointed out in our outline, it seems like a pretty consistent theme here. Ross tends to pick the most American speech. Landon picks the oldest. Matt Pitts picks the most conservative, <laughs> and I find one from a movie that I like. <laughs> I wanted us to revisit the topic of AI after that um, very mediocre HAL episode. Um, I decided to revisit, and the world has changed oh, since Hal. that HAL episode. As <laughs> <She's> HAL, <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> because ChatGBT has become a very prolific agent within society, if you will. Why don't we go ahead and listen to that very short clip to get things rolling in the correct direction. Ross is not on tonight. You just have three of the Stooges. Here's the speech. Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. Man, that is such a short speech. Too bad. <laughs> so, context for this again, just to clarify, Blade Runner is sort of known as a cult classic. Maybe a little bit less so now that Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out a few years ago. But takes place year twenty nineteen. These replicants, they're called just these self-aware AI robots that look exactly like people are um, a small amount are on the loose. And Harrison Ford is a sort of special cop who is hired to uh, to kill these robots. The time to die reference is the fact that they are set to expire after four years um, as a way to like sort of manage control them. And uh, his his four years is up. Let's go ahead and roll into, um, I guess, first reactions. I'll start. Um, <clears throat> kind of a weird movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I would turn to someone and be like, have you seen Blade Runner? <laughs> 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 when I hear that, I've never watched it until yesterday. But I definitely know that it has a lot of cultural sci-fi weight there's rumors the the new Tesla truck, which is probably a real thing coming to market, is like a Blade Runner adaption model. Um, 
it is a short speech. I kind of do wonder why when when you think of 1980s speeches, even in the movie genre, even in sci-fi movie genre, like did you actually viscerally remember these two lines? And do you think they carry enough weight in and of themselves to do a podcast on? Mm. <laughs> or is it more of the context? I mean, there's definitely artistic elements that I think you know, you you watch it now, you're like, I've seen this in every other sci-fi movie. And there's probably enough that on the lineage tree ties itself back to there. Fun fact, like when you throw out nouns like Orion, I assume that's like context of Orion was in the two lines, like a little bit of a nod to like he's fighting galactic battles. Tannhauser was right. a pole. Tannhauser was probably a German poet in the medieval times who hmm. later in like a hundred years, 1400s, the guy might've lived in the 1200s sprung up. He discovered the underground home of the goddess of Venus. So like medieval mythology, it was probably when Roy said that, like a nod that he's been like on the farthest reaches of the sky and in the depths of, hell whoa okay, um, so uh, i, like I mean well when there's done. capital when there's capital words in a, a two-line speech like what's going on here um <laughs> the the ai itself when i ask what does blade runner mean literarily and mythologic mythologically it does say that roy kind of has like the fact that he had like pure white hair and it, it did say in whatever 500 words like he was kind of had some christ-like themes worked into his character and i think the fact that like tanhauser was like hell in orion heaven mm, was yeah. like i've been to the depths and just gouged a few eyes in between <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> just like just like jesus <laughs> but <clears throat> it was just anger <laughs> maybe yeah, that was pretty good. I, I was curious about those those two references. I just kind of figured they just meant like really cool, spectacular things. But yeah, Matt Matt and I apparently have the curiosity of a loaf of bread. <laughs> 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 but um, I think of the movie Hoosiers. Like when I so I for some reason, <laughs> there's a connection. I promise. So I didn't see the movie Hoosiers till I was like 28. Almost thirty. I think it was almost thirty. I, w- I was pretty old too. Yeah. Like I knew it was a classic movie, whatever. But I saw it, and I'm like, "This is so cliche. Why would people like this movie so much?" Until you're like, "Oh wait, this is the movie that all the other movies are based off of." I feel mm-hmm. like maybe Blade Runner kind of fits into to a little bit of that category. Um, kind of I- like the OG. Yeah. Because like of I know you mentioned uh, there's a handful of other like dystopian futuristic things i feel like that i mean chronologically i think that was the first in the amongst those 80s dystopian films i believe right yeah this is the second time i watched the film when i rewatched it last weekend um and i did see blade runner 2049 and thought it was very long and the world is just as smoggy as it was in 2019 <laughs> landon 
challenge me can a two-line speech carry a podcast or is it more just the general context of me trying to over leverage speeches from the 80s in order to talk about what i want (laughs) and it's maybe a little bit of both but i think the speech itself does set up the sort of things that are on people's minds right now with ai because what the speech challenges or posits despite the fact that it is it is sort of like silly because he did because what's sympathetic about Roy like oh you're dying and you've only been alive four years but you had this wild adventurous life to the gates of the netherworld metaphorically and Orion's belt right oh and then of course a lot he of course is having these experiences because he is actually aware right and that's as I understand the commentary, and it makes sense when you watch it, that's why Harrison Ford is sort of like standing or standing back in a sense, like, oh man, he does have experiences. Maybe I shouldn't kill him, even though he's about to die anyway. So, the question I sort of want to explore in these different ways tonight, especially, is can AI have experiences? Obviously, definitely not right now. But if it gets to that point, what does that mean? And the fact that it cannot right now, what does that mean for or with respect to things like art that generates or any sort, quote unquote, art that generates um, or any sort of, quote unquote, meaningful content that it is prompted to generate right now? Uh, speaking as an artist in the discipline of novel writing, I have played a little bit with editing just little pieces of paragraphs, or even, this will be an interesting anecdote, maybe I'll share it in completeness later, plugging in paragraphs from the classic Uncle Tom's Cabin and seeing what it says about it. It says some very interesting things. My first reaction, sort of like I said, the plot is sort of goofy. It doesn't make sense why it is always dark in the future. They don't explain why either Harrison Ford sleeps during the day only or why the sun has gone out. It is It is one of those films, yeah, very much a cult classic where the plot is just... It's you obviously understand the broader storyline, but you have a desire to understand like these little details of different characters, and it's just impossible to follow unless unless you're a nerd and gonna research all that stuff. I think the setting and the dealing with AI, like I I haven't I don't tune into many sci-fi movies. I kind of tend to write them off. Um, it felt matrixy to me. The plots are different, the themes are different, but <clears throat> just the darkness of the real world. Um, yeah. You know, the Matrix, like when you think of the Matrix, it's like action shots, like avoiding bullets in slow motion. And this was very much, there was never any like, there's a cut, like two or three fight scenes. You know, they ended pretty quickly and, but it was mostly dialogue and just like a slow burn of yeah. a right plot 
which I don't think you can get away with today. Like, it's got to just be like nonstop action, and you couldn't yeah. have this subtle two-line epic speech that it's like, what does this mean? Like, most of the speeches and movies today are just like on the head. It's like, oh, I get what you're trying to say. Like, you didn't mm. beat me upside the head with mm. it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we could challenge that, but nothing comes to mind. So, why do you guys think that dystopian movies were so popular in the 1980s? It doesn't this relate? I remember you did a Google of this during a podcast. I, I um, did, and I know what you're talking about, and I did find the link again. Yeah. It is called yeah. the <laughs> List of Apocalyptic Movies by Decade. Pre-1950, 4, 50s, 9, 60s, like 18 technically i would call the 70s the breakout decade for apocalyptic we'll call it 28 a lot of like um you know one of them's called a boy and his dog the other one's a distant thunder in the 70s um planet of the apes was the 70s so more like um, Wizards, The Holocaust, those are the 70s names. Technically, the first Mad Max was mm-hmm. 70s. Stalker. Mm-hmm. So, I, Noah, Black Moon, I don't know. Those seem more non-technological. And then in the 80s, you go from like, yeah, 30 to probably 40. And the whole genre takes off. Blade Runner was at the beginning of the... Um, Maybe the tech or the AI or the the tech technology being the, the prime suspect of our demise. So I have a hypothesis um, as to why that was the case. My hypothesis, briefly, of why there were so many now more dystopian apocalyptic films beginning in the 70s, 80s, is because life started to become so much better than anyone could have imagined right that it became that once you have so much more free time now you i think that most average most common tendency is to imagine what could go wrong what could take it from you So maybe this thing, technology, that we have created, says 1970s, 1980s person, could potentially be our demise when they become evil versions of us or something like that. Like, nobody had computers yet. I'm just, uh, some reference points is here to back you up. Mm. Like, I also think of, like, the Apple commercial the just like which was was like 1984 so i think one answer might be like that dystopian novel the original Mm. dystopian seminal work was set in 1984 and you're just like approaching it so apple riffed off that it maybe got started heating up but i don't think that's like a that's a perhaps a second principle i think yours mike might be more foundational to like yeah, it was a decade past the most, you know, heated racial strife. Yeah. Were were ten years, you know, that was the sixties. I don't know, like, you know, the seventies weren't. I don't think that bad. Not as bad as the sixties, anyway. 
So, so you're like beyond that. I don't know what they they didn't have computers, they didn't have cell phones. What was so easy yeah, about the seventies? Um and is it just that it was like you know, we're also twenty years past our last real nuclear scare. Yeah, the Cold War's going on, but it's not really a thing anymore. We're not that afraid of it. Was it like really low tangible fear and then we kinda had to make up a lot of fear? I mean, I feel like the specter of like nuclear things in the cold war could have been still like an influencing factor, or at least like uh, maybe it, it was just far enough away that it's not like you could make a movie about it and people would see it. It's not like so, you know, it's like making jokes right after something bad happened. <laughs> like you can't uh, too soon, you know. I might suggest at least with like I feel like it just was like a huge action film decade. Just with like mm. Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Jean Claude Van Damme, like Chuck Norris, like it just seemed like maybe, maybe the stars at the time just like lent themselves to like I don't know dystopian robot killing and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer to your question, Land. Like, what was, what was the? I mean, I guess Matt was sort of trying to answer it. Yeah, what's the tangible? Like, obviously now, like now it is Chat GBT. Like we can we can literally basically hold it and say, look, guys, it could become Roy Batty. <laughs> Versus what were they what were they holding in 1982 other than an <laughs> ap- Apple II or whatever they were called? Atar- Atari. <laughs> Ataris are going to kill us all. I mean, it was, they were trying to sell computers to the masses. So, like, they were, computers were around in the 50s and 60s in academia and then the 70s in big businesses. And it was just, like... Sure. You know, it was on the cover of Time Magazine in 1982 or whatever. So it's like, you know, how is this thing going to alter our lives? And let's make the worst possible scenario movie out of it. And yeah, hyperbole that. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's just something intuitive about robots. I mean, obviously there must be if we at some level strive to create them so we've attempted to answer the question of why the 80s were so popular or became the beginning of the popular time for dystopian films maybe 1970s so i i think this does tie into sort of what we were previously talking about and hopefully will flow nicely into the next set of discussion questions here I'd say from, you know, we'll say, gosh, this is just like the movie uh, Terminator, where it's like, August 17th, 1997 is when robots became self-aware, because I'm going to do something similar here and say, November 2019, okay? So we're going to call that the beginning of a new timeline in my head. That's when ChatGPT 3.5 or 3 became available, publicly available. And my first reactions was you heard things like, oh, it was, it acted like a, it it acted goofy, essentially, right? And so, like, just feeling sort of uneasy about that and hearing more and more just anecdotes of how it communicated. So, from November up until probably a month ago, just did not really touch it at all. Now, as I said, I've sort of played with it. Um, with respect to the novel I'm working on, not like making. Now you're writing. You're writing a novel a day. You're just like, <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah. 
but there was there is that like sense of apprehension it's like oh my gosh you're you're trying to create this this art and is is the ai just going to mimic it essentially so that's sort of what i wanted to explore why why i wanted to pick this speech the first discussion question then to explore based upon those concerns and i've sort of been playing with can ai create art because i was reading an article recently amazon cracking down on self-published novels that people are putting out that were written by ai just you know i'm sure we've all seen at one point or another just interesting illustrations created by ai you can look up quote-unquote ai photography so maybe let's start with that sort of broad question can ai create art and let's let's also keep in mind to keep it tied to the speech of anything from the speech that will assist you in answering the question uh positively or negatively it's a two-line speech <laughs> Landon is just riding the pride of his first reaction. Just crapping on everything else. No, I I, I He's attacking you up. like the ships firing on the shoulder of Orion. <laughs> <laughs> Won't you admit that's a hard question to tie into those two lines? Though? Well, maybe I need the lead apparently, since I've got I've got the answer. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put ChatGPT down in the ground below Tannhauser's Gate. All right, <laughs> that's uh, there's a reference. I think symbolism seems like something AI would be capable of, at least in like a rudimentary way. Not terribly accurate, maybe like maybe inappropriate somehow. Well, but... when you say sim, what do you, what do you mean exactly by that? Like, sense? I mean, I've heard of people writing a poem. And I'm I am at, like I imagine a lot of poems would involve something like a metaphor or simile, something like that, where you're, as far as I know, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong here, but it, it seems like AI for right now requires human prompting, like it requires you to do something right. to like elicit this creation. Yeah, it's not just doing its own thing. For- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's what I mean. So, like, I to me that that seems like a fundamental aspect of art is that there's an inspiration to do something. Mm, there's mm, volition yeah. mm. that occurs within the person, and then brings it out into you know expression, right? So, like, expression is the final product of art, but there's these other things that happen prior. And, uh, yeah, like I guess. In that sense, no. Yeah, and that's why I feel like, I mean, one way I've heard people describe ChatGPT is like it's like a B minus version of anything you want it to be. You know, so it'll write a B minus poem, a B minus paper. It'll you know mm. make yeah. B minus art or B minus literature. And for some people, that's all they want to read because they just want something vaguely, uh, t- you know, titillating <laughs> and. Yeah, I I suppose I have a somewhat similar answer, um, and to um, get this checked off my list early in my response, you know the the question that Deckard or Harrison Ford's character is implied to realize, sort of at the end of Roy's speech, is that oh, replicants do have experiences they are aware in these not just because maybe he knew that they were self-aware before the speech but obviously as as incoherent as it is from a storytelling perspective we'll set that aside 
despite that, Roy does bear witness to these things that Harrison Ford presumably also desires. Like, oh my gosh, seeing what the stars look like next to Orion's belt. Man, that's extraordinary. That must be a really beautiful thing. So presumably, is not just self-aware, but he experiences beauty, right? That That's what I feel like is being communicated in that speech. But the question is, can a robot experience that AI? Well, definitely not right now. And so that's how I'm going to use that to continue answering this question with that reality. It is objectively, no one is making the argument that AI is self-aware right now. And maybe it never will be. But art like it experience has to come from it and like you said matt this i did think um is certainly possible a market will emerge for ai generated art quote unquote you know maybe cheaply produced novels or cheaply produced wall art i think that's sort of unavoidable that's going to happen and probably does exist to some extent But, of course, art art is not just an attractive. One aspect of art is its how it manifests itself, like just what it looks like. Whether it's a collection of words that just sound beautiful, whether it's music or a book, or an image that looks compelling. But there's also the other aspect of it, of... What, where did the artist come from? What were the qualities in their experience that compelled them to make that piece of art? Like that is, like for a a self-aware, conscientious person, like that is so much of what art is. That's, is it 90%? Is it 10%? I don't know if you can necessarily draw those numbers, but... Yeah, so for that reason, if... Okay, but now let's let's continue playing with <laughs> hypotheticals. Let's say that the robot becomes self-aware. Okay, well now, presumably, it does have the capacity to interpret its reality in some way. And then, from that standpoint, create some kind of art. But, there's one more, in my mind, sort of like sub-point to that experience factor. That you have to be able to experience reality is that there is also some quantity of, how, how would you say it, not dissonant, shortcoming, straining, inability for something within you, something within your heart and your soul to grasp as far as that art is straining to reach, right? I'm sort of sort of bringing to mind St. Augustine's words, my heart is restless until it rests in you, Lord, right? Like, that is, that is, in effect, like, what good art is. It is trying to strain towards that infinite horizon, right? It's trying to articulate that, right? Because we are limited, because we're finite, because we impose limitations on ourselves through our sin and not impose it through our biology but it is still reality whereas 
a robot, like, what are its limitations? Now, you could argue, well, it is still operating in a finite world, so in that sense, it's not infinite. But let me pose another hypothetical here. Some sense of limitation in ourselves, right, comes from, like, oh, goodness, you know, I really wish that my how I communicated with my mom the other day would have went like this i should have said this instead of this and so like that those kinds of experiences that we can all imagine that we have we know that we have with different people that is also a way that art is informed right there so it brings in the moral component like i should have done this versus a robot there will come a time I'm reading like where robots AI is going to be emailing the other AI in order to access what's going on. But that is that AI ever going to say, Oh, I should have done this in this kind of communication with the AI, which is it, which brings up the whole question of in a whole different way of like where morality comes from in this, this way that hasn't necessarily been like, asked before right because up to this point it's been oh it's just this evolutionary thing that's all morality is but seeing it it's almost like seeing evolution happen in this whole other way in a sense so for those reasons i say no ai cannot create art oh i had some follow-up thoughts but we'll leave leave it there yeah every word ever printed it is learning from if a human has ever responded that way, it could respond that way. It's going to be able to fake it to degrees that we can't right. even imagine. At least for right now, it's a pro- it's like a word probability thing, which to me seems good art. You would seems to be very not just a probability, right? Yeah, you know, it's much yeah. more. It's very uh, yeah. It's it's the idea of art is that it's wrought and dripping and drenched in intention. Yeah. You know, and like you yeah. said, it's the straining, this, you know, all this, these things, yeah. these longings and whatever. Two thoughts on the art question. First, what does the AI say itself? The AI says art is a mm. form of human expression. You can tell when it's being diplomatic, though, which is interesting. I, like, <laughs> if the definition is human expression, then no, like, it can't do it. Now, obviously, it can do it. Like, it, you know, tech technically now like it's b minus word like you know some of the imagery have you ever you've ever more people have played around with chat gpt than like you can do text to image and like try to get it to create an image that stuff is like kind of bad right now i call it like d plus theoretically like if you ask it to like you know paint me the Sistine Chapel only make it include these forms and landscapes and people it'll reproduce it perfectly right but that's not interesting like when you walk through an art museum today you know that everything before the impressionists or the who were the guys in Paris who just went rogue? Yeah, I'm not an art history major, but 1870s, the guys are like, screw technically being proficient. Let's just paint whatever we want. Up until that point is like, 
you were measured like art was like how good can you paint the scene with perfect light etc and it was all a technical merit skill late 1800s in paris they're like f it do something cool so we're gonna you know picasso would have been like the 40 year down the road version of that like abstraction impressionist and so you when you walk through an art museum it's like anything before 1880 is like everyone was striving for this technical ability it was thrown off tracks and now it's like the world's gonna open you can do whatever you want here's some works that painters who still tried to um paint the sistine chapel and and you have to interpret it through the time in which it was created and and so i think that you know like michael schaefer's novel written in 2022 is way more valuable way more interesting than anything attributed to michael schaefer's name written beyond 2022 just for the fact that he might have had access to chat gpt after that and we don't know and Mm. i think it yeah art if you're going to allow for like can ai create art then it's all contextual and like uh the time frame matters a lot and you know is modern art art you know, it's it's more about the person who decided to, you know, do something that's never been done before, even if it's a banana on a toilet that was just flushed, whatever. David Perel podcast reference. <laughs> <laughs> all that to say, like, we all should have written novels last year because now it doesn't even matter. I wonder if real non-AI use <clears throat> writing perhaps painting or pictures or whatever. I wonder if in order to distinguish the real from the AI, like if will if, if the real will get more abstract or less. Mm. Um, Interesting. Or will it, yeah, I don't, like there will have to be a way to like distinguish like this was, homemade this was human done and i don't know what direction that will be but i I think there will be a i don't think ai is going to be good enough to obliterate the human touch completely but i have no idea how to how the human touch will be able to be identified like right now like i've quizzed chat gbt on paragraphs that it wrote versus i wrote and i mean it it can tell the difference um yeah it doesn't count if only the ai can tell the difference it has to be it only counts if interesting there are a lot of weird meta games if human can i should start playing with chat gpt what it tends to produce is just just the most boring wikipedia article possible about whatever you type in i wouldn't even necessarily say boring i'd say sterile almost like like there can be interesting people but they're still sort of like filling a certain certain category if you will that's sort of like what chat gbt is like oh this is what an interesting person looks like you know something like that okay so this sort of ties in with what matt had brought up is ai just going to be something like 
the smartphone, where it's certain fraction of the population is just going to abuse it and then become, you know, versus the other fraction of the population, which knows how to utilize it as, as a tool. Well, I don't know if I want to run with that one right now. Let me think for a little bit. Matt, have you used it at all? I've, I've never entered anything into ChatGPT. So it... And I, I think I looked it up because you have to make an account, right? Yeah, you have to make an account. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, I think I got to that point and I'm like, all right, maybe I'll do it later. So I have the app on my phone. I would say maybe there's this like big AI thing. A, a simpler version of it is like, when you type something into Google, it's actually still, it, it's fairly hard to find the answer. Like if you're just like, give me a taco recipe, 10 links, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a website full of ads and pictures, and you're going to have to scroll through it and then screenshot the bottom part and then, you know, go off your phone. Like sure. the grand grandkids one day will be like, Oh my gosh, that was barbaric. How did you ever right. eat? <laughs> so where I've like, I've got a, it's a, it's not called Chad. It's it references the chat GPT database, but like I've got an AI app on my phone. It's like taco recipe and it just gives you the text. Boom. Like the incremental widespread uses will be like, if you're looking for an answer to something and mm-hmm. like Google was great because the way to search something with the ubiquitous knowledge and like it's the internet instead of the encyclopedia or like the recipe box but now that it's so burdened with ads most of this ai is just like remove all the ads and just give you the answer until ai starts doing until they start having the ads and exactly yeah so that's like the incremental version of like you know we used to use paper maps and then we use MapQuest and then we use Google Maps. It's probably just a step along the line of like taking all the fluff out of Google search and the internet and distilling it down to just like what info do you need and I'm 90 for they as 95% right this is what you're looking for. So I was talking with uh, Sean a former introducer former two-time introducer of the show about AI and whatnot and I was initially rather which is leaning more Luddite and alarmist. But I think he really kind of helped like talk, talk me down quite a bit in terms of like just that analogy, I guess. And insofar as like, I guess like outsourcing is kind of like the theme that, that seems rather like non-human. You know, you're just kind of outsourcing. You know, we used to be the types of creatures that would either share recipes and knowledge and cooking wisdom with one another and hand it down from generations and in communities. And like there is, there are all these characteristics that kind of defined these communities and this kind of organic thing emerged. Um, but really like chat GPT isn't that far from Googling a taco recipe Not that you couldn't do it. But at the same time, like there was a time and place where like maybe that was handed down and now you're the type of person who, knows the taco recipe you're the type of person who has like engaged with taco eating people (laughs) you know um as opposed to this sort of like yeah outsourced thing and that's where like i think it's lowered my alarmism for chat for like ai but i think it's also raised my alarmism for the internet in general (laughs) you know because like it's the same thing i'm still kind of like outsourcing and renting these skills from the internet yeah 
yeah. or f- these things from the internet or from whatever, right. um, or from their smartphone, um, instead of like owning them myself, correct? Yeah, and like honing this culinary skill where yeah. like I ended up identify patterns, you know, instead of like, oh, what does the recipe say? It's like, no, like what does my experience tell me? What am yeah. I like now? I'm wrestling yeah. with food, right? In a way that makes me a a true cook, correct? You know? Yeah. No, I gave the concurring opinion there. Like, oh, it's just a step change, a small incremental step change from Google search. I think the dissenting opinion is like, yeah, it is removing you from that passed along oral memorizing community knowledge and turning it over into the bland taco recipe of the AI that will like assimilate everyone into you know, perfect uniformity and reduce. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's not like our choice will be taken away. Like we can no longer look at all taco recipes, (laughs) you know, in the same way that right now, you know, being, being a wall street journal, paper, hard copy reader, you know, Landon recently received an article I cut out the newspaper, right? <laughs> Whereas people people used to do that all the time. Sure. I have to imagine I'm not quite the only one. There's probably like seven other people mm-hmm. in the United States who are still You're doing definitely this. Definitely the youngest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am making a choice to do this in the same way that in the future, yeah, maybe... 75% of the time or some fraction of the time I'm just asking for chat GPT to give me a taco recipe versus like, oh, this is a special occasion. So I'm going to take the time to find the absolute best taco recipe. Right. And going yeah. through going through the old fashioned steps of Google or something like that. Um but what I sort of want to try to get at and play with a little bit here is the most challenging questions that AI poses is very much less the non-zero risk, as Elon Musk likes to say, that you're going to have a Roy Batty situation, but rather the sort of challenge that's going to pose the moral challenge is going to pose to persons in the developed world in the same way that smartphones have but times a hundred or a thousand i don't know it might be fun to talk a little bit like as very trying christians like what does it look like raising your child now not just with a smartphone but with ai or what sort of moral habitual risks do we anticipate to society and are those risks potentially utterly destabilizing yeah yes i guess when you're when you're talking go matt but when you're talking moral habitual risks you're, you're saying just like asking hey chat gpt should i play video games or visit my grandpa in the hospital like are you, yeah. are you you're saying like that sort of yeah. stuff or like yeah that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sort of stuff or moral habitual risks uh okay maybe maybe a better let's throw out some examples of what we all think that means is i i don't know how to write any sort of paper because chat gpt sure. writes right. them all yeah. and we have not figured out a way to correct for that sure. um yeah it's like you're 
in night in 2005 you didn't do your homework you was spark notes was online yeah my first thought was actually like spark notes was a book at the bookstore and you would go to the bookstore and read it but i don't know if i'm that old i'm sure it was online i remember reading spark notes in high school online or on the in the yeah I remember it at Barnes no, & Noble, and I was like, ooh, there's all the answers, the Romeo and Juliet Spark Notes in book form. I don't know if I Googled it. I would just read the first part of the assignment and make sure I was the first one to answer the question in the discussion, and then I was done. But So this would be the main <laughs> example. It's like we could find the the one version of the cheat code, and now there's a whole AI for the cheat code for almost everything and that is a moral intellectual hazard because you would lose the ability to learn how to think at all yeah i mean to yeah i mean effect effectively function i mean ultimately it's i think so you know we're we're obviously not gonna disagree on like any of the risks sort of in this respect um i think it might be interesting though to sort of play with what I was alluding to with the the social instability. I, I've done a lot of these different thought experiments. <clears throat> How much can we hypothetically disagree within a society that something something simple, well, in a sense, simple, something that's very um familiar to us, right? That the 2020 election was stolen. Sure. Okay, is it possible? For a society to continue to function and still at least some fraction of the population believe that. Like, can roads still be built? Can water still be treated at the wastewater treatment plant? Et cetera, et cetera, right? And, like, okay, well, those things continue to be done. You, you do have more instances of violence, it seems like, in all these you know little this or that thing but ultimately for the most part roads are still being built etc etc but then what happens when like it happens again in 2024 you have these claims but it becomes more believable maybe you sort of get what i'm getting at because eventually at some point that well this this did just happen this past year or something there was a guy maybe i don't know if you guys heard about this a guy who worked at the wastewater treatment plant and he because of what he read about fluoride he took fluoride out of the city drinking water it's on his own right the the point being is like at some point there are because different groups of people become so different whether it's regarding a 2020 election belief or because like, oh my gosh, you have not like seen your grandfather who lives three miles away for seven years. Like I can't even fathom that. Like there is nothing I can be sympathetic to at all about that person. And at what point do you basically like right now we basically function as an American tribe. Like that's one of our tribal identities. Is ChatGPT going to be something that's going to amplify these differences that have already emerged and basically make it impossible to function as an American society? 
And I could even almost see the risk being going, or there being risk the opposite direction too in that, like, because I could certainly see, like, all right, chat GPT, tell me all the reasons why this bogus thing is true. Insert okay. whatever conspiracy thing you don't like, you know. Um, but it could also be, I mean, I think very easily manipulated by people who, like, nobody knows. Like, I don't know who the people are who are making these things. I don't know what, how they're programming them or, or what kind of subtle, like, computer twists you can add on things. But, like, is there, like, a, like a Brave New World type of conformity being driven right so like mike you talked about this division being created by chat gpt but i think there's also a danger in like just too much conformity from chat gpt you know if you have taco recipes everyone's eating the same tacos but i think on a moral level <laughs> if you're talking about like um oh well you know chat gpt says you know if i'm having a bad day i don't need to visit my grandpa but if like all right you just keep saying that then it's seven years before you see your grandpa and like you've got like yeah, I, I guess like I could see there being, um, I mean, with any moral question, like insert, you know, abortion, gay marriage, transgender, you know, all these hot button things. Like if if chat GPT is seen as the new moral compass for society and that is like uniformly accepted, I mean, that could be, I would say, equally dangerous yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, but I don't think, well, it certainly doesn't opt, like, it does, it's not going to answer, like, if I ask it, should my girlfriend get an abortion, it's it's not going to answer, it's, okay, it says, I'm not qualified right, to make yeah, personal yeah, medical yeah. decisions, yeah, blah, sure. blah, okay. And so I, I don't think, unless something very dramatic changed, I don't think it's ever going to operate. <clears throat> in that way i like i said i understand what you're saying there's only one i mean chat gpt's open ai google bard kind of still sucks like i've answered and those are still firms that pretty <clears throat> set guardrails on what they'll let the model answer you know you're not going to find anything about turning off the fluoride at a water plant on ai that's that's going to come from twitter until more language learning models are built to open source the, the whole internet rather than a certain segment of it in which, yeah, you'll be able to, I mean, you can already, I don't, I don't think that problem, that problem isn't an AI problem. It's more of a, I think well, yeah, what we've discussed the last couple of minutes is kind of separate than, than AI. AI will amplify it eventually, but right now it's probably more curtailing it than anything at the curtailing the conformity or curtailing like the division and like curtailing the, the division when everybody was on like chat gpt six months ago i don't it's not as much like you could ask it like write me a cheery poem about joe biden and be like joe biden was the best ever write me a cheery poem about donald trump it's like oh, i'm not allowed to do that like you can in any political issue it very one-sided I know since then a lot of that's been like corrected and I don't know what drives that if that's like behind right. the scenes people pulling levers or if it's just the machines learning a wider variety of things like that much I Okay, Matt's going to turn on the alarm understandably cuz I am a little bit surprised by this. So actually I am looking at the rest of this um it, it says steps you can take if I'm asking about my girlfriend getting an abortion. It does say, number five, respect her autonomy. Ultimately, the decision should be made by your girlfriend. 
as it is her body. And they do reference at the end, this is challenging, blah, blah, blah. Or if you need help, you can contact Planned Parenthood or other sure. reproductive Yeah, but that's like... Like, okay, well, that's... I mean, th- that's also what you're going to get at, like, general doctor. I mean, unless it's a, a, a Catholic hospital system that, like, actually values their Catholic heritage, like... Yeah, that kind of proves both points, I think. And that's where it, where it comes down to, like, I think... I mean, humans tend to worship things. For a long time, it was pagan deities. And then for a long time, it was Christianity, at least in Europe. And then, you know... Muhammad in the Middle East and out, you know, whatever. And then it became like the, the artist and the philosopher maybe in like the 17, 18, you know, and post enlightenment. Mm. And now it's the scientist, you know, um, like right. the science, you know, we believe in science. The science says this, you know, and, and as if like, uh, you know, where, when people used to say, Oh, you know, well, pastor so-and-so said this and the preset, you know, like it would just be like, Oh, yep. They say it, it's, you know, so like now it's the science, but I could totally see chat GPT being like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't sure what to do, but chat GPT said this, you know, so like maybe it is just another idol in the list of idols that right. <laughs> humans have always had. Yeah, we live in an abnormal time and the fact that you just, I think some things have been sheltering us and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to, will we protect those things that shelter us and if we don't, that will be actually more normal than if we do. You know, if it's not <clears throat> some, it's always a foreign enemy. It's always an internal strife and it's always a lack of a resource. Like pretty much all three of those things are, and now we've added almost like a fourth one with like a massive technological advancement plus a foreign enemy plus internal strife plus mm. nature combating us and yeah that'll hard that'll be hard to go undefeated like for for many generations hmm mm, yeah that's that's well said about time for the final bell sure ding 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 one more round there's no stopping this now this is our round no stopping now we're starting we don't stop are you spirit all your power, all your love, everything you've got, this is your whole life, do it now, now. Here's the final bell with all that being said. What scares you the most about AI? But what are you most excited, hopeful about? Be specific, let's avoid abstractions as much as possible. Um, I think what scares me the most about AI is... How do I synthesize this? I think it is as big as the internal combustion engine. It is as big as the mm. industrial revolution. Even if we can't, like right now, it's right in paragraphs for us. It's pretty easy. You could say it's like Google Maps instead of MapQuest or instead of the paper map. Like all the same information is just the speed at which what you, what, what you get it. But I do think that just as I think just as the Amish kind of took the exit ramp and were like, nope, we're gonna call it good here. We have tools that are saws and blades and man operated. We're gonna just say no to ice and take the exit ramp. I think there probably will be 
Maybe there won't be, but there probably should be a whole new the new Amish class of people or a a a moral perhaps religious perhaps just like mindful healthy way to be like we're good here like we'll stop at google maps we'll stop at email text looking up source material we're not going to do the ai thing i think about this i think it would behoove all of us to think about like is this a possible exit ramp but Landon, you're already more entrenched than all of us. You've got it as an app on your phone. You're gone. We have correct, to, we have correct, to kill you. for sure. No, ex- no. You got to know the enemy, Mike. I, right? I, I friends close and your enemies close. I think when I think <laughs> when I think about it as like a hundred percent. I I have it up right now. This screen has it, and I'm just like typing in stuff. I'm like, oh, what's the definition of that? With that. <laughs> And I'm probably, like, too far gone. Like, I'm probably going to use it for these menial tasks. It'll be a separator. I think maybe not this version of what it is today, but at some point in the future, it will be, like, are we going to use horses or cars and all of that entails? Oh, yeah. Landon's going to be like, I'm stopping at ChatGPT19, guys. Like, this is it. I'm... (laughs) Because I think you get, I don't know, I think you get dumber. I did not use, I remember being like a 24 year old, my first job, I'd get in the car with like an older guy. We're going to like a part of Illinois, like two hour drive to another office in my company. Like it's so easy to get there. And he would type in the address and want to know to get there. Like, are we going to get there at 410 or 430? It's like, who cares where you know how to get there? Um, Why do you need to inform and communicate whether it's a 20 minute difference? And it's like that accelerated the speed. He told the people we're getting there at 410 or whatever. Um, and I myself never used Google Maps on my phone in a car till I was like 25, 26. Like memorize four points, get in the car, go. Like we'll figure it out by the time we're near. You know, we can call them. We could text them if we're lost. Like we don't need to be there right at whatever time like there's you know there's not a level of urgency there and now it's like i almost always put in the address and it's like i've got to get there to the minute i've got to beat the time um and if that is true for like any written word that i do at all in technology to what that did with my directional ability. Like, I I don't know. that I know how dumb I got on directional ability and, like, navigating cities and states. If that is true for every time I type, I'm going to become useless. I think what I'm afraid of is less interesting because I think it's just the more obvious things. I'm, I would be afraid of, like, behavior prediction and manipulation just by like big forces we like big businesses government pharma whatever insert the big you know i could see chat gpt even further enhancing um kind of the behavior prediction stuff that already exists and and just kind of creating almost like a surveillance world would be it like business or i think also just like the social interactions and isolation 
I don't know if I feel like I've used this example in a different podcast, but I remember as a kid, if there was like some random historical question that came up at the dinner table, like we would call my uncle Lawrence every now and then, <laughs> or my great, he was my great uncle, I guess my great uncle. So he, you know, history teacher, like just knew all sorts of stuff. You know, we'd end up having a conversation with him, and he loved it. He was never married, never had kids. So like, I mean, I don't know if he was quite as close as like our grandparents, but like close to that. And it was a fun thing, you know, just chat with Uncle Lawrence. Whereas like, yeah. oh, chat GPT, what, you know, what happened in, you know, this battle in World War II? Like, yeah, that's, that's not the same. Things I'm excited about. I could, I mean, I know I posted one of the things in the notes about some medical things maybe being oversteps, but I think there are a lot of medical efficiencies that could be could come from it that I think would be good. I don't know. A lot of in-person PT is a very inefficient way of delivering physical therapy to people. I, I don't think we necessarily need that. So I could see AI potentially transforming how we do that. Um, and certainly like same thing in a lot of other scenarios. I mean, there's a huge doctor shortage, I think pretty much across the United States, but certainly in more rural areas um, where I could see um, AI potentially allowing for just like at least protocol driven care in rural areas and stuff delivered by, you know, APNs or nurses or whoever, you know, people who aren't physicians uh, to maybe step in. Another interesting dynamic. So a lot of the jobs that would be made more efficient are kind of your like, at least from, and tell me if I'm wrong, I haven't used this as much, but probably your like low level professional jobs, right? So like your paralegal whose job is just to like summarize legal documents, like ChatGPT, summarize this report in 300 words or something, you know. I could see like those types of jobs being the one that go, which I think might create just interesting, like where do those, where do those people end up? Um, and these are people who are like educated, potentially more yeah. creative or hopefully more creative, at least somewhat ambitious if they went through school and, you know, did that sort of stuff. I don't know. I could see that creating like at least interesting opportunities, you know, maybe just shifting people going into the trades because there's a huge trade shortage, you know, but if we don't need as many kind of low level marketing jobs and kind of like Landon mentioned, like I am curious, I'm excited about like maybe the kickback. I would say there's something about it that is kind of a scary overstep maybe by technology, if you want to think of it that way, Um, as if like technology is like its own person, but um, it just seems like, whoa, that's a big, and yeah, I, I could see that maybe just waking people up a little more and, and kind of causing, I wouldn't say a rebellion, but more like Landon said, more of the Amish step back. Um, what I am most scared of, what I was alluding to before, where I guess you would call it social decay. I'm not worried about it so much affecting me calling my Uncle Lawrence for history facts because, well, you know, sometimes sometimes you'll call him just for the heck of it, for the history fact, even though you could look it up, right? Just, you know, a, a month or so ago, I wrote down the recipe for this lasagna on an index card and mailed it to my goddaughter, Audrey, right? Yeah. Of course, I could have just texted it or emailed it, whatever, but no, I wrote it down, right? So, it's like, I, I more or less trust, even though I could do better, I still generally trust my decision making of when it is more appropriate to be analog, 
as we discussed, Landon is already too far gone. He is using <laughs> Google Maps to go to anything outside his door. But how other how thou those kinds of decisions are going to be outsourced um, in the lives of other people, um, and how that's going to make a less commonly functioning society a less common set of behaviors that we can expect from each other is reasonable i was just listening on KMOX recently that the highest percentage of kids who are not potty trained entered kindergarten wow. this year i would say that is a good example of a social expectation that uh we like to have most excited Oh, one other thing sort of scared about, I would say, is an evaporation of cha meaningful challenge, right? Like, I would think if I wanted to be a paralegal and now suddenly this opportunity was gone, it's like, oh my gosh, then what, how am I going to challenge myself professionally? But new opportunities come up. And I think that what I've been coming back to is, I think maybe Bishop Barron said this, there's two things you can't avoid, and it's sin and death right like ai is never going to magically make sin go away the the challenge we're battling to stop sinning right it's it's not going to make it go away so that that challenge and all the different ways it manifests itself is always going to be there and that is obviously you know the most important you know challenge to to undergo right yeah those are i'm too most scared of i've Figured out how to get around the second one, though, really. Just thinking a little bit. Uh, most excited, hopeful about... Yeah, we haven't brought it up, but... It, but it definitely is really two specific things. It is a cure for something like Alzheimer's or dementia. And it's not like there's going to be a cure for climate change. But presumably some profound advancements in renewable technologies right so it's going to reduce our carbon global carbon footprint by like 30 percent over 10 years so, something like that the alzheimer's dimension was i think a little bit easier to focus in on if we're asking the question like ai or you don't have to see your parents go through that. Because, like, I mean, I'm honest. Like, I'm anxious. I'm nervous. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, one of these years, like, oh, why did mom or dad, you know, say that goofy thing? Like, oh, my gosh. Is that, you know, having seen my grandpa or one of my grandparents suffer through that and um, the strain that puts on, on families and not to mention just the... The sensibility of faith on individuals as well like that is just so heavy and if accepting the various costs we've already discussed with ai is a part of that then that seems like a pretty fair deal for me and climate change like you know don't want to be a catastrophist but it is something that affects the whole world so solid show matt I think, what do we have going on next episode? I'm thinking we dip back into Rocky. Speeches in the 80s. Maybe maybe I'm pulling a Schaefer and going speech-dialogue combo. But the uh, the beach dialogue between Rocky and his wife. Rocky 3. The beach dialogue. We all know what that's about. Yeah. 
Man, I don't, I don't, I don't love that speech. Where, what do you have in mind for directions for that speech? Really? Oh man, it doesn't, There's it so doesn't make things. sense. I feel like <laughs> you just—it'll it, make sense by the end of next episode. You didn't listen to one of our recent episodes when my mom said we're not allowed to do Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she really? said it half jokingly, but. She said too much Rocky. I mean, it's your speech. You pick it. I'm it's in the 80s. But, but um, that's where I was thinking. Hey, thanks for drinking and thinking with us. Be safe out there, and we'll talk with you next time. Come and go. Look toward the horizon. Up ahead, you'll find a peace of mind. Relief from the trying. I have burned a bridge. Wrecked in a ditch, had to ask forgiveness. Dead ends come and go. Look toward the horizon. Oh, there are stories to tell. The times we grew and the times we fell. Oh, I've been afraid some days, but the road will lead us to a better place. Better play